0: Father we just thank you so much for your word and what you teach us and especially for the book of Hebrews and and Lord how we go into such depth in certain subjects that we've looked at throughout the New Testament Lord and throughout our studies throughout the Bible and and Lord is uh, today we look at this subject of death and and uh, just how you in this text you probe uh, the depths of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross how he conquered death Lord and and uh, how we can have victory over death. So, Lord, this is it's a difficult subject. I ask that you open our ears and hearts to hear what you would have us to hear today and that you teach us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Wes came up to me a while ago and said, Knock them dead, preacher. Uh, I mean, that's kind of appropriate today. The, the subject is the death of death, and so uh, hopefully I'll knock you dead today. Uh, here we go. Uh, one of the songs from the movie, Old Brother Where arthur I don't know if you ever watched that movie, it's a great movie, but uh, it's, it's a really morbid song by Ralph Stanley, and it's called Old Death. I asked Chap to do it this morning as part of the worship, and... He, he refused to do it, so I'm going to read you a few of the lyrics. I don't blame him. I wouldn't do it either. Uh, oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? Well, what is this that I can't see with ice-cold hands take a, taking a hold of me? Whoa, death, could you wait to call me another day? And then death responds, and listen to what death says. I'll fix your feet till you can't walk. I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see. This very hour, come and go with me. Leave the body and leave it cold to drop the flesh off the frame. Dirt and worm both have a claim. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? That's a cheerful song, huh? You like that? Now, that song never made the top 40, and you, you can understand why. Uh, but, you know, there's some passages in the Bible that will never make the top 40. You'll never hear him preach. There's some passage, passages in the Bible that are pretty morbid, too, uh, like Psalms 88. Let me read you a few verses from that. Listen to this. sounds almost like Ralph Stanley's psalm, and, and it's a picture of a person in a grave, and listen to what he says. I'm adrift among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up, and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away. Man, that's a picture of death right there in the Bible. I preached that at a funeral one time to cheer everybody up. To scare everybody into to realizing what death is really like when you don't know the Lord. You know, we don't want to hear stuff like that. As a society, we do everything we can to sweep this subject of death under the rug. And, and really, if you dig deep enough into most of our hearts, probably our greatest fear is the fear of dying. And that's why we don't want to talk about that subject. Uh... You know, Some people will say, I don't, I, you know, I don't fear death, but, but I think they're really in denial. Uh, they've just pushed the idea of death out of their minds. They're kind of like Woody Allen. I don't, you, I don't know if you remember what Woody Allen had to say about death. He says, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, that's kind of way I am. None of us want to be there when it happens. But guess what? We are going to be there when it happens. We don't have any choice. I've got news for you. The odds of dying are the same for all of us. It's 100%. These old bodies we're in, they're going to die. Now, y'all excited about this? <laughs> Here's the good news, the really good news Jesus has conquered death. He has defeated the one who has power over death. He has brought about death to death. Now, now we're going to probe that subject a little bit because the author of Hebrews does a great job here of explaining how Christ has conquered death, how he's conquered death, and why he's conquered death. But first, let's set the setting. If you remember as we've gone through the first few, uh, the first chapter, the first part of chapter two, what the author's been doing, he's been proclaiming the superiority of Jesus Christ, his superiority over the prophets, his superiority over the angels, and he's also been... Setting up this magnificent relationship that he has with us, that he has with mankind. Uh, uh, the, uh, the prophets or the angels couldn't save us, they couldn't sanctify us, they can't give us life. But Jesus became one of us so he could do exactly that. So he could bring about the death, uh, bring about death to death. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we go. our text. So go with me to the book of Hebrews and pick, let's pick up in chapter number two and uh, let's begin down in verse number 10. Chapter number two, verse number 10. Listen to what he says. He says it is fitting for him, Jesus Christ. It's fitting for Jesus Christ for whom are all things. All things belong to Jesus Christ. All things were created by him, for him and, and through him, all things. So it's Fitting for Jesus Christ, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, With by all in him all things exist. We, uh, he sustains all things. We saw that earlier. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, like I said... There, this is some really deep theology that we're getting into right here. And so, so, so keep your ears open and your hearts open and you, and you'll, and you, and you should be blessed before this, this is over with. Now, here's what he's saying here. Only the creator of the creation, the creator of life and death, only he, uh, he's the only one who can conquer death. He's the only one who can bring us to glory. I mean, only the God of glory can restore our glory, the glory that we lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell, the glory that we've all lost through sin. We've all lost that glory that God had for us. And so he's the one who created us, and so he's the only one who can restore that glory. And listen to what he says. It says, for it was fitting for him who made all things and whom... For whom, all, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, to bringing many sons to glory, many sons and daughters to glory. And, and listen to what it says. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus Christ, the creator, created Jesus Christ to be the captain of our salvation through suffering. He had to suffer for us. Now... Listen to what uh, the author says. Flip with me over to chapter 10, and listen to what he says, and you get a little bit more explanation of what he's talking about here. I mean, How is he the captain of our salvation, and how was he made perfect through suffering? Okay, that's, that's what we want to look at as we go to chapter 10. Jump, jumping ahead to chapter 10, and listen to what he says in verse number 5 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. He says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, why did God, and Jesus was God, he's the creator, so why did he prepare a body for himself? Why did he become incarnate in Bethlehem? Why did he take on flesh? Well, jump down to verse number 7. He says, Behold, I have come, I took on flesh. uh, In the volume of the book it is written for me, to do your will, O God. Now, what was the will of God? Why did Jesus become a man? What was his will? Well, look down at verse number 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, there was a sacrificial system. But all the sacrificial system did was point to the Jesus Christ taking on a body and suffering so that he could bring us to glory. Look back at verse number 4. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away uh, sins. And so by him taking on a body, taking on flesh and blood, the creator is the only one who can bring us, restore our glory. And so by, by his will, by his offering, He sanctified us through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I mean, he was perfected through suffering. Now, Jesus was perfect when he came here. And that word perfected uh, has another meaning, actually, probably better interpreted completed. He was completed through suffering on the cross. So he was perfected so he could complete us, so he could perfect us. And when we see him on the cross... We see his perfect love. We see his perfect justice. We see his perfect character. We see his perfect surrender to God's will. And so we see him perfected on the cross. And so he becomes our salvation and uh, 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 he becomes our sanctification. Now, if he's the captain of our salvation, when you have a captain, what do you have? You have to have followers, don't you? So, so we, we follow him. Now, how do we follow him? If he was perfected on the cross, then guess what? We're perfected on the cross too. Does that mean that I have to get up on the cross and die in order? I have to follow him up on the cross and, and die myself on a cross in order to be perfected? No, not at all. What I do, I identify with him on the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. So I identify with his perfection, and that makes me perfect. He completed himself on the cross. He completed his creation on the cross, and the salvation for his creation, and I identify with that, and through that, I'm perfected. He had a great victory on the cross, and I share in that victory because I'm a child of God. So going back to Hebrews chapter 2, Look at verse number 11, and, and this will get a little clearer here. He says, for both he who sanctifies. Now, that word sanctification has lots of meanings. I mean, it's translated four different ways in the New Testament. To sanctify means to be made perfect. To sanctify means to be sanctified. To sanctify means to be made holy. To sanctify means to be made a saint. So whenever you see the word saint, you see the word uh the, the word holy, you see the word sanctification, uh, uh, you see the word perfect. You, you're seeing the word agios, agios, in the Greek. It's the same word. And so, but for both he who sanctifies, who's the one who sanctifies? Who sanctifies us? Jesus Christ sanctifies us. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who makes us perfect. He's the one who makes us a saint. He's the one who sanctifies us and those who are being sanctified are all of one. What does he mean we're all of one? We're all of the same spirit. We're all of the Spirit of God. Jesus is the Spirit of God, but we're the same as He is. Peter says over in 2 Peter chapter one, he says that we've been given the divine nature. We've been I mean that's, a, that's just unbelievable thought that you and I who are born again, we've been given the divine nature. Now, how do we get the divine nature? We get the divine nature because we get the Spirit of God. The same Spirit as Christ is in us, the Spirit of God. And so for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one. Now, that's really cool that, you you know what I like about that text? Who's doing the sanctifying here? Jesus is. Who makes us perfect? Jesus does. Who makes us a saint? Jesus does. Who separates us from from this world? Jesus does. He's the one who makes us holy. I mean, Jesus does it all. That's a passive verb. We're being sanctified. We don't do the sanctification. We're being sanctified. And because we're being sanctified, now how many of you have arrived to perfection? Guess what? You, You know what? In God's eyes, you are already perfect. You have perfect standing with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But you are, at the same time, you're being sanctified. You're perfect, but you're also being made perfect. And you're, we're being made perfect by him. And so he says because we're being made perfect and because we're perfected forever in Christ, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Now, before I got saved, The Creator was pretty ashamed of me. In fact, there's times now I think He's pretty ashamed of me. But He sees me in my perfection. He sees me in the future glorified. And so He's not ashamed to call me His brother. He's not ashamed to call you His sister if you're in Jesus Christ. I mean, not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. I mean you can rest in that. We're going to in the in our we're going to hit one of the most important passages in the Bible coming up in the next chapter where we're going to talk about resting in Jesus Christ. And we have to rest in Jesus Christ not only for our salvation but for our sanctification and our glorification. I mean only he can do that. And we rest in that. And so he says for both he who was who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which This reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. But now listen to what he says next. He says in verse number 12, saying this, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. You know where that passage comes from? It comes from Psalm chapter 22. Are you familiar with Psalm chapter 22? Psalm chapter 22 to me is one of the most phenomenal passages in the Bible. It's a passage where Jesus Christ actually speaks to us from the cross. And and he he speaks about what's going on there at the cross. And then as he gets through that, he declares the victory of the cross. And, and, And what we get in verse number 12, we get the victory that he has at the cross. I will declare my name to my brother. And why did he die on the cross? So we could be his brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Now, go with me to Psalm 22, and let's put this in its context. I don't think we can look at this passage and do it justice without putting it in its context. So so go with me to Psalm 22. You want a psalm to meditate on sometimes. This is a great psalm. Psalm chapter 22. And it begins with those uh, heart-wrenching words that we hear in the Gospels when Jesus is on the cross and he's suffering for the sins of the world and he cries out, verse number one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? And then go down to verse number, skip down to verse number six and, and listen to him as he's on the cross. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man, and despised by the people and all those who are looking up at me see me and they ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. You know, they're proud. They look at me in shame, and they shake their heads saying, He trusted in Jehovah. Uh, Let him rescue him. That's exactly what the Pharisees said, didn't they? Let him deliver him since he delights in him so much. I mean, if he's the son of God, come down from that cross. And then look at verse 12. Jump down to verse number 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You feel his pain here. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands. And my feet, speaking of the crucifixion, I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among me. He looking down and he can see them gambling for his clothes. And my clothing, For my clothing they cast lots. That's Jesus on the cross. Speaking from the cross, dying for you and me. But he knows a victory's coming. And so listen to what he says next. He says, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. I know you're going to help me. I know I'm going to give up the spirit and I'm going to be put in the grave and you're going to raise me from the grave. And then we get the passage in verse 22 that that is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12. He said, I will declare your name to my brethren. In other words, all that pain that he suffered, he suffered so he could declare the name of Jehovah to his brethren. What's the name of Jehovah? The name of Jehovah... It's Jehovah saves. The, the, name, of the uh, name of Jehovah is Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is his name. He declares his name at the cross. He declares his name, Jehovah is salvation. And in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Now that word assembly there, if this was a Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, it would be the word ecclesia. It would be the word church. It would be, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the church. I will praise you. You know what? I I think he was speaking of one great day in heaven when we all stand, when the church is gathered in heaven, the real true church, and we're all gathered in heaven, and and he declares the name of the Lord to his brethren, and uh, in the midst of the assembly, we all praise the Lord together. He's looking forward to that day, but he's also looking to... 2015 to, to uh, 111 Camille Boulevard to Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. And you know what he says? He says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will praise you. You know what? You miss out when you come to church if you're not looking for him because he's here. He's here. It's by the anointing of God that we sing praises. If our praises aren't anointed, we're wasting our time. It's by the the anointing of Jesus Christ. He's here with us today that we break this word, that he opens our hearts and ears to hear his word. It's by the anointing of Jesus Christ, by his presence, that we we observe the Lord's Supper when we we break the bread and drink the wine. We're, we're, We're recognizing his presence. We're recognizing what he's done for us on his cross. And so so even today, he says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Then, now going back to Hebrews, he goes to another Old Testament passage in verse number 13. And he quotes from Isaiah 8, verses 17 and 18. And he says, and again, I will put my trust in Him. That's the Messiah speaking. I will put my trust in the Lord. All His life that He lived on this earth was a life of trust in the Father. I mean, He trusted the Father when He was a little child. He trusted the Father when 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 He grew up and, and uh, performed His ministry. He trusted the Lord when He was on the cross. That's why He could say, "I will." Decla- I know I'm going to declare Your name to the brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise You. Because I put my trust in the Lord. And now listen to what he says. He says, and again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. God, the Father, gave us to Jesus Christ, who is the Father. I mean, that's some, that's some deep theology right there. Here am I and the children whom God Has given me. I mean. Why? I mean. Why did Jesus do what he did for us? I mean verse number 10. For it was fitting for him. For whom are. The creator of all things. To bring many sons to glory. to, To save his children. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he was obedient unto death. That's why he trusted the Father. Because in his incarnation, he emptied himself of his glory to come and die for us so he could bring us to glory to be with him. So he says, here I am. And, And one day in glory, he can say that here I am with the children whom God has given me. You have some really interesting stuff going on right here. I mean, first of all, I mean, you look back in verse number 12, and he calls us his brethren. His, his, we're his sisters and brothers. Then in verse number 13, he calls us his children. In John chapter 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. I mean, you're my friends. I mean, we're his brothers and sisters. We're his children. And we're his friends. I mean, what a deal. I mean, that seems hard. That seems difficult to comprehend, but really is it? I mean, my children, when my children were birthed, they became my children. When they became born again, they became my brothers and sisters in Christ. As we grow together in, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, we become friends. That's how you become friends. You want to find really good friends? Friends, you know, the only real true friends that I have are friends friends who really, truly love the Lord. They really, truly care for the Lord. Stuff like this doesn't bore them. It excites them. I mean, those are my friends. It's it's hard to find friends like that because we live in a world, we live in a world where where this stuff is is mundane. This stuff, you know, the world doesn't want to talk about Jesus Christ, the world doesn't want to talk about death. The world doesn't want to, doesn't care about the victory over death. But we do. He says, here am I and the children you have given me. And listen, going on in in verse 14 and 15. Now, here's where you get this victory over death. And and you're not going to get a better picture of it than you get right here. Or a better explanation of it than you get right here. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. Now, we're the children of Christ. He says, I I look forward to the day when when I and the children whom God has given me, we're all together. So we're the children of Christ. He made us with flesh and blood. So he says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He took on flesh and blood. He had to take on flesh and blood because the life is in the blood. Salvation is in the blood. And so for him to save humans, he had to become a human. An angel couldn't save us. An angel doesn't have blood. An angel is a spirit. So he had to take on flesh and blood to save us. He himself likewise shared in the same in flesh and blood that he could die. He took on a body to die because the blood of bulls and goats could never save us. All it could do was point to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he took on flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death. That is the devil. Now, How did the devil have the power over death? Who created death? You know, in my Bible, the way it reads, it says, if you sin, you will surely die. So God said that. So who created death? God created death. But he gave the power over death to Satan, to the devil. Now, how did Satan get the power over death? Well, Adam and Eve relinquished their life to Satan in the Garden of Eden when they decided to rebel against God. If you choose to rebel against God and you choose to serve Satan, then you're under the power of death. He has power over you. You're in bondage to Satan. If you choose darkness instead of light, then you're under the power of Satan. And so he has power over death. You know what? He has this whole world under his sway. He has power over them. And where is this? Is this a world of life? No, this is a world of death. We live in the land of the dying, not the land of the living. Now, when I'm speaking of death, I'm talking about Death in the sense of separation from God. Total separation of God. Total darkness. And when I'm talking about darkness, I'm talking about totally removed from the light of God. And Satan has blinded the eyes of almost every human being on this earth until we're born again. We're all in that condition. And so he has power over death. He's the one who controls death. And people are dying. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you are dying. You're not living. You are dead. And you can only come alive or be alive if you come to the light and come to Jesus Christ. And so he has power over death. That is the devil. And then listen to what he says. And he says, let me, I have to read it together. That really, those two verses go together. Inasmuch then as the children have, partaker, have, been, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death, that is the devil, and release those who th- through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, what he's done here, he switched gears For the first part of Hebrews, so far what we've been seeing, we've we've been focusing on the deity of Jesus Christ. Every good Christology has a balance. Let me me say this. You can get out of balance in your Christology. Jesus is 100% God. If you make him any less than that, hey, you don't have the right Christology. And and I kind of have to question if you can be saved because your salvation Requires the blood of God. And if you see Jesus as anybody less than God, and then you don't have the blood of God covering you. I mean, we live in a world where, where people say there are all sorts of ways to, to heaven, there's all sorts of ways to be saved. There's all sorts, I mean, a Muslim can be saved, a Buddhist can be saved. I mean, we have pastors, evangelical pastors, that are buying into that now. And, 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 and they're the ones who who the media wants to talk to and you hear them all the time. Well, yeah, I believe you can get to heaven another way. You can't get to heaven any other way but through Jesus Christ. And and, 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 and I'll tell you where that misunderstanding comes, that deadly misunderstanding, it comes because they don't understand that Jesus is 100% God. And then it requires the blood of God to save you. But here's where I think we get faulty in our theology another way he's a hundred percent human he's a hundred percent God he's a hundred percent human he has always been a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human now that will blow your mind he's always been that way he's always been that way he was he was born in Bethlehem but his goings forth are from everlasting he's always been that way that's why we see him in a body in the Garden of Eden. That's why we see him in a body when he's, when he's approaching Moses and, and when, he, when he talks to Abraham. He has a body. Even before he's born, he has a body because he's always had a body. He's 100% human and he's 100% God. And so what the author has done so far, he started out by concentrating on the deity of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's stressed his deity. I mean, just go back and look in chapter 1. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, he made the worlds. I mean, that's that means he's God. Verse number 3, he's the irradiance of God the Father, the express image of his person. He created the angels, verse number 7. Verse number 12, he is from everlasting. Verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 8, he is above all things. Chapter 2, verse 9, he's 9, he's crowned with all glory and honor. Chapter 2, verse 13, we get this, this word that he's the everlasting father. Now in verse number 14, he turns to his humanity. And he tells us that he became human. Why did he become human? Because his children were human. He became human because you and I are flesh and blood. That's the way he made us. And so he became flesh and blood. You know why he became flesh and blood? He became flesh and blood because he loves you. And he wants to commune with you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And for that to happen, he has to be like us. Like us in all respects except except one. He was without and is without sin. It's the only difference. So he says, again, inasmuch as then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death. That is the devil. Let me tell you what. If you're not serving Jesus Christ, you are serving the devil. You're serving the devil. You're dead. You're a dead person walking. If you haven't come to the light, you're a dead person walking. Uh, Some people might say at this point, hey, man, I'm saved. I don't serve Satan. Uh, I'm the captain of my own soul. You hear that all the time? Man, nobody's a captain of their own soul. How how mistaken you are if you believe that way. The Bible is real clear that Satan is the prince of this world. He's the prince of this cosmos, this world system. And and, and I tell you what, you know, there might have been a time in history where you you, you might not have seen that so clearly, but you've got to be blind as a bat if you don't see that now. He He is the ruler of this world. And if... You're not part of the kingdom of God. If you haven't separated yourself from this world system, then you're part of Satan's kingdom. And you're serving Satan, and you're dead. You're, dead at, you're a dead person standing, or, or sinning, or whatever you're doing. And Jesus put it real clearly like this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, He who is not with me is against me. You're my enemy. And he who does not gather scatters abroad. If you're not working for me, you're working for the devil. That's what he's saying. And, man, I don't know if you fear death or not, but you better fear death if that's the condition you're in. Because when you're dying, you're not going to go to be with Christ. You're going to go be with the devil for eternity. In darkness, separated from God. And only Christ can redeem us. The law can't redeem you. Moses couldn't redeem you. The angels can't redeem you. Buddha can't redeem you. Muhammad can't redeem you. Only Jesus Christ can redeem you. There is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. You don't believe that? Well, pastor, you're being awful dogmatic, narrow-minded. You're doggone right in because the Bible is narrow-minded. I mean, there are certain things, there are axioms that are truths that don't change. I mean, I I can tell you the the cheese, the sun, the moon is made of cheese, and if you believe that, you're stupid. I mean, you can. I mean, you might have thirty theories of what you think the moon is made of. The moon is made of whatever it's made up of, rock. That's what it's made up of. And I don't care what my opinion is. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Now, going on, look at the, look at the next bird. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he, does, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now, that can be translated a different way. I, I mean, it depends on which manuscript you're looking at. Some of the better manuscripts, supposedly, it says, for he does not take on the nature of angels. But he does take on the nature of the seed of Abraham. Either way, this fits because he doesn't give aid to angels. I mean, the fate of angels is is already fixed. Satan and his demons, they're fixed and doomed for There's no way they're going to be saved. There are certain people that teach, they're, they're, they're universalists, and they believe that even the devil's going to be saved. He's not going to be saved. The devil and his angels and all of his followers are going to spend eternity in hell. And that's not going to change. It's fixed. So he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to human beings. He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Why does he use Abraham there? Because Abraham was a man of faith. He gives aid to those who believe, those who believe in Jesus Christ. And I don't care what else you believe in, it won't save you. Only through Jesus Christ can you be saved. And then he he goes into even more depth here in verse number 17. 17. He says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like us. You understand that if Jesus never came to this earth as a babe in Bethlehem, you would be lost in your sins forever. This world would be lost. I mean, he had to be made uh, like his brethren, that he might be the first merciful and faithful high priest the high priest is the one who made the offerings and the high priest went in every year at the day of atonement and he made the offerings for the sins of the nation of Israel but that only covered their sins or temporarily it didn't take away their sins But he, as a high priest, takes away our sins. He had to come. Blood, the blood and bull, the blood of bull and goats could never have taken away our sins. Religion can't take away our sins. The law can't take away our sins. Only Jesus Christ, by coming to this earth as a babe in Bethlehem and offering himself on the cross and spilling his blood for our sins, that's the only way that our sins could be atoned for. So he says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, like you and I with flesh and blood, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. There's that word, propitiation. Pastor, we don't need to focus on propitiation. I mean, propitiation, sanctification, those are just big words. All we need to know is the gospel. Friends, that's not true. You don't know the gospel if you don't know what propitiation is. If you're here today, you don't know what propitiation is. Now, you might not call it that. But if you don't know what propitiation is, you don't know the gospel. I'm a little weary of some of the testimonies that I hear today from so-called Christians and they leave out propitiation. They leave out propitiation. What is propitiation? It's the price paid for your redemption. Oh, there's another big word. Pastor, don't bore us with these big words like redemption. Well, if you don't understand what redemption is, you're not saved either. You've got to be redeemed. You're in bondage. That's the whole point of all of this. You're in bondage to Satan. He has power over you. You're under the power of death. And for you to find life and be redeemed from death, you, you ha- for you to be re- saved from death, you have to be redeemed. There has to be redemption. Redemption means to be set free. Okay, you're enslaved. You're, a, you're a slave and you're, you're, you need to be redeemed. But to be redeemed, there has to be propitiation. You can't just be redeemed. There has to be propitiation. If you leave out propitiation, which is, is the price of redemption, if you leave that out, you're not saved. There's an athlete that I, I, had, several, I had several people in this church coming to me and tell me what a great Christian he is. And I always say, man, I, I got my question about that. And I don't like to question people's salvation, but I listen to his testimony. I listen to his testimony, and in his testimony he says, You know, one day I decided to become a Christian, and and ever since then, God's made me a better football player. And that was his testimony, basically. By the way, this past couple of weeks, he was tweeting that that, uh, he went to see Fifty Shades of Grey and what a wonderful movie it is. Fifty Shades of Grey, you won't go to hell if you go watch it. But if you call it a wonderful movie when you come out, I got a question if you're saved. That's the difference. But anyway, in his testimony, he says, you know, I, 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 I uh, you know, decided to be a Christian and I've become a much better football player. So let me say what, Christ did not die for us to become better football players. Christ did not die for us to become better, better baseball players. Christ did not die for us to become better accountants or bankers or anything like that. Christ died because we are wicked Our hearts are desperately wicked. We are dead men walking. And we need to be saved. We need life. And if your testimony doesn't include that, if you don't understand, the propitiation is the price paid. What's the price paid? Well, it's the blood on the cross. But friends, what blood is that? 100% human blood. 100% human. God Almighty became a man just like you and I. So he could spill his blood, so we could, the price would be paid for our redemption. And that's not just human blood that comes down from that cross, that is the blood of God. And if you don't understand that, you're trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ, we'll see later on. You try to add anything to that, any other way to that, and you're trampling on the blood. Of Jesus Christ. And so, he had to be made like us. You got to understand, he had to be made like us. Because Mohammed couldn't save us. Buddha couldn't save us. Moses and the law couldn't save us. He had to be made like us so that as a high priest, he could offer his blood in heaven. The blood of God, the blood of a man. That's the only thing that could save a man and a woman is the blood of God and the blood of man. For that he himself suffered. Verse number 18, suffered. For you and I became a man and he suffered being tempted. And because of that suffering, because of his death, because he lived the life of a man, He's able to aid those who are suffering and those who are tempted. You know, I'm so glad that God became a man. I'm so glad that he understands my hurts and my pains. You think maybe he understands hurt and pain, rejection, You think maybe under persecution, you think he understands that? You better believe he understands it. Nobody suffered more than he did, nobody was more rejected than he was. Man, he wasn't weak. The strongest man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. But he knows my weaknesses. He knows my weaknesses because he became a man. He knows about trials and tribulations. I mean, can you imagine having the sins of the whole world placed upon you on a cross, hanging there, nailed to that cross, naked? You think maybe he knows about trials and tribulations? You better believe he does. Does he know about temptations? In chapter 4, we'll see, in all ways, he was tempted as we are. In all ways, in all things, he knows about temptations. He knows what you've been tempted with. He knows you're frail. He knows you're nothing but dust. He knows when you succumb to temptation that that you're just not able to resist it. Therefore, because he became a man, he's able to aid us in anything we face. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Sometimes I don't feel like he knows what I need. But that's where faith comes in. I have to trust him that he knows better than me sometimes. And I can always look back. Now, I look ahead. I think, man, Lord, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? You know, so on, so on, so on. But when I look back from the time I got born again to to today, I can look back on my life, and I know everything he did has worked out for my good, and I can trust him. And he knows. He knows me. He knows you. So he's able to aid all those who are being tempted. A few months back or a few weeks back, I preached a sermon on Wednesday night from Philippians. I guess it's been a month or so. Chapter 1, verse 21. The passage, to die is gain. You know that passage? And I reminded everybody when we were in that passage, I got really excited about that passage. I I was ready to head on out of here that night. I reminded everybody what Jesus said to Mary at Lazarus' tomb. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You'll never die. If you've come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're never going to die. You have nothing to fear. I mean, death has died. I mean, that's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? There is no victory over us anymore. Christ has won the victory for us, and we're going to live forever. And I got really excited about that. And Randy came up to me after the service, and he said, Pastor, man, you got... You got too excited about dying. He said, you want us to put it out on the sign out there, to die is gain? He said, that'll really bring them in. (laughs) Well, it might not bring people in, but it should excite us because to die is gain. To to, To die is to leave this dying world and go to a world, this dark dying world, and go to a world of life and light And we get to taste that here and and now in this world because we're born-again believers. I mean, we're going to go on to a life greater than anything we can possibly imagine. We get a little taste of it from time to time. And that's it. I mean, we're going on to a world free from the bondage of sin. Sin the bondage of Satan into the presence of the living God who died for us, who became like us, our father, our brother, and our friend. How can we do that? Because he has brought about death to death. That's good news. We take it for granted, but that's good news. You're going to see one day that's really good news. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know when that day's coming, you're going to die. And really, in some sense, you're already dead. If you don't know the Lord, don't put that off another day. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm tired of the darkness. I'm tired of being dead. I want to be alive. And he will come into your heart and he will give you life. Life beyond anything you've ever imagined. An abundant life that you have in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his humanity and his deity. Lord, what an awesome thought that you would offer yourself up for us so that we could become your brothers and sisters, so that we could become your children, so that we could become your friends. What a deal, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you in the name of Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.